Well, good evening, LCM. Good evening. Tonight is June 29th, 2023. And the title of tonight's message is Earn This. Earn This. Look, we're some kind of excited to share with you tonight what the Lord has been doing in us since Sunday. Indeed, we feel like we have fire shut up in our bones, and we are weary of holding it in. Tonight, we're going to invite you on a journey with us of how we have wrestled with the Lord and how we've wrestled with the Word of God. As we affectionately call ourselves the Ying Yang Twins, we want to bring you along the journey of how God has impacted us through Sunday's message. Sunday's message was quite profound. And to tell you the truth, we wouldn't have anything to share with you right now if God did not speak to us. Yeah. But he did. Yeah. We had things that we thought might be nice to share, might be good to share, that might even bless you. But God, uh, he had different plans for us. Plans that impacted our souls. And so we're going to invite you to join in on this revelation with us. You're not just going to agree with us. Join in with us. I promise it's going to bless you. And more than that, it's going to bless your brothers. So we're going to start out where this journey started out with for us. And we're going to start out in Mark chapter 10, verse 43 through 45. And say earn this when you get there. As we begin to reflect on Sunday's message and the idea that when Aaron would go into the Holy of Holies, and he would see the staff that Moses inscribed his name on. These are the scriptures that came to our minds. We immediately went to Mark 10, 43, and we read, But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The immediate import of this passage is that the Messiah came on a mission to serve humanity, to serve the people around him. This passage immediately began to impact us, but not in quite the way you would think. We begin to look at this passage and immediately agree with it, immediately recognize truths in this passage that we already know. We, we thought to ourselves, you know, there's not a church, I believe, in the entire United States that preaches on brotherly sacrifice more than life-changing ministries. I would agree. I just don't, I don't see that. As we're looking at this passage, we begin to understand, we are well inundated, I am well inundated with the truth that Messiah's mission and his only mission was to serve and not to be served. But immediately in that recognition and that acknowledgement, there began to be a, there began to, uh, there, there was a battle that began to form inside of us. And that battle was us hitting the wall of acknowledged truths, hitting the wall of things that we are familiar with, things that we know and hold to be true, but immediately recognizing something. I don't know how to do this better. I know that this is true. I acknowledge it. I know it's what I need to do, 
But I also recognize that it's not what I am doing fully. I recognize that I've grown over the years, that there have been areas of my life where I have grown in sacrificing for my brothers, and I can see the fruit, but I know deep down inside, I am not doing it to the level of Mark chapter 10, verse 43. And I begin to look at the passage and become seriously concerned with my own state. As many times as I heard this and agreed with this, why can't I live up to this? What's going on inside of, it, inside of me? Why can't I put this into practice like I actually want to? I have a desire there, but it's not being fully realized in my actions. The next passage that that led us to was 2 Corinthians 3.18. Turn there. And as you're turning, are you going with us? Trister is so uh, convicted and such a man of God and so serious about this. Literally, the clothes that he wears communicates what he wants to do. Trista, turn around. Service. (laughs) He's serious about it. And, And yet, God is telling us to come up higher. Last week, we talked about Malachi 3 and how they can both be things that God actually wants to refine and things that are just not true. And the truth is not that Treaster has not been serving. He's been pouring out his life. He's been giving his hours, his sleep, his finances to the kingdom more now than he ever has been. And yet, God is saying there's more. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Church, can I tell you that I acknowledge the fact that I am not the same man that I was six months ago? I acknowledge that the Lord has been transforming me from one degree of glory. I mean, you knew me when I came into this church. You knew how much of a busted piece of hot mess I was. And look at what the Lord has done. But it wasn't just the first time I came into the church. It was like a few weeks ago. The Lord has transformed me from one degree of glory to another. And yet, and yet, as we engaged and listened and cheered and agreed with Sunday, I could feel the Lord thumping me on my heart saying, hey, this is good. This is great. And there's more for you. There's more transformation that you've been doing in some ways the best you know how. But there's more that I have for you. And you're going to have to come up to me to get it. That brought us also to Philippians 2, verse 3 through 4. A passage that has been preached on so much. And should be on a stone in all of our pockets. This passage actually means a lot to me because it, it was a staple of a very much needed correction I got a couple years ago. And I did my best to memorize it. I did my best to force myself to perform it better after I left the meeting, realizing the state of my apparent selfishness, I told myself, I will do what this scripture says more. I will do everything within my power to do what Philippians 2 verse 3 says. Good response. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. 
See, this passage is very familiar to me because I've had to wrestle with it in the past. And it has produced some fruit in my life. But as I'm wrestling with it again this week, there are things coming up inside of me. But Lord, I have done this. I, I actually do have some fruit in walking this out. Lord, when, when, I, when this was brought to my doorstep, I told myself and I told you that I will do everything in my power to value others above myself. But there began to be a problem while I was wrestling with this. And it's the problem of acknowledging that you have done this and thinking that's all there, all there is to be had. Yeah. When I begin to wrestle with this passage, honestly, I begin to, begin to th those, those prideful thoughts begin to come up before the Lord. Lord, I have done this. I have put this in a, look at the fruit around me. But deep down inside, there's something turning. I know that there's more to be had. I know that when I am trying to put this into practice, there is still something selfish inside of me. I am still very much aware of the moments when someone is, is trying to talk to me. They're trying to, you know, hey, this is what I want to talk about. Uh, you know, I love that word that you had. And I know that the Lord wants me to speak to them, but I'm finding myself looking at my watch. I find myself, you know, waiting for the conversation to be over so I can just go home and get some sleep. I am very much aware of the sinfulness inside of me, but I'm acknowledging that this passage is true and I'm in a conundrum. I don't know how to get out. I don't know how to serve more. Lord, you have to help me. I don't know how I can do this better. I cannot overcome my inherent selfishness and my own selfish ambition and my pride. I need help. I know this passage is true, but if it's true, if it really is true, then I must be doing this as you demonstrated in your word, as the Lord of glory, as Jesus Christ demonstrated, and I know I'm not there yet. See that, those things begin to be peeled back this week for me of being so familiar with the passage that you can, I can agree to it. Yes, I know, I know that's what we need to do. In fact, I know 10 other scriptures that we can add to it and form a theme and get everything together and you know, preach this. But as I was considering doing that this week, the Lord began to work on me. There is more that you can, there is more sacrifice in you and there's more flesh that needs to die. Which brought us to our next passage that we've wrestled with honestly this week. And it's Genesis 4, 7 through 9. Wrestle with this one so much it's in my stone pouch. Say, don't throw out the baby with the bath water. That's a, a term that's been uh, revived here in the last few weeks, right? Yeah. And when we usually think about that, we usually think about, hey, don't throw out the good things that God is doing with the correction that you need, right? Don't throw yourself away with the correction that you so obviously need. Where another way to think about that also, like, just like Trista said, don't throw out the fact that although there has been evident supernatural fruit in your life in an area, there's also more to go. Because when you throw out the baby with the bathwater, in that sense, we don't grow. We remain stagnant. And you know who suffers? Our brothers. Talking about a brother suffering for spiritual stagnancy. Genesis 4, 7 through 9. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? How many of you uh, uh, have this, this scripture written down somewhere in notes, in a one note, on a stone maybe? Yes. We know this to be true. 
And whenever we feel some tension here, we know to look to the Lord and say, no, this is the issue, Lord. But as the pastors were talking to us on Sunday about how, how Moses could elevate Aaron above himself because his relationship was secure with the Lord, I began to really wrestle and be convicted by the scripture because I'm doing it more now than I ever have done. And yet, and yet, I can look at the scripture, I can look at Moses' life, I can look at what he did for Aaron and say, Lord, I want to do what Moses did for Aaron. And yet, there is something in my path. There is something in the way. And it, it produced a, a, a cry, a heartfelt cry, because God is showing me that, hey, yes, this, this has been good. And there is more. There is more for you. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. You know what happened. He didn't master it. And he, he slew his brother. And there's been more life-giving prophetic speech. There's been more uh, uh, looking through the eyes of faith at what my brothers and what disciples are able to do. And yet, and yet, there are these situations. There are these days where it's not the case. Not the way that God is saying it. Not, not, not the kind of repentance and not the kind of change that leaves no regret like godly sorrow is supposed to do. Y'all said y'all was going to come with us, right? I know I am my brother's keeper. I am the one who is supposed to know where he is, how he's progressing, and the one who is called to help deliver him to that destination. God came down and asked, asked Cain, where's your brother? Lord, am I, am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Lord, I'm saying I recognize, yes, I am my brother's keeper. I'm the one that is supposed to go from week to week to week, helping to deliver him and, and push him and spur him on to what God has called him to be. And yet, see, you know as well as I do that these, uh, these concepts, these scriptures are things that are at, at the core of the genuine body of Christ. These are things that you are doing. Not that you will do. These are things that you are doing. These are the things that have built this church. What do we close on? What do we close on for, on, on Sunday? I need my brothers and my brothers need me. How many of you have problems saying that, by the way? And my brothers need me. It's kind of like what the pastors did to us a few weeks ago. Where they told us, say, I am righteous. <laughs> right? And we wrestled with it. We struggled with it. Yes. Just like Jesus needed John, your brothers need you. And as we engaged with this on Sunday, I was tempted. As a matter of fact, you know, I kind of I went for the pump fake. I was tempted to happen, happily and passionately agree with what these brothers were preaching. I mean, I can feel myself as I'm sitting right over there by my beautiful bride. I can, I can feel myself saying, yes, this is right. This is good. Amen. I'm almost louder than anybody in here when it comes to the sermon. Just amen. Yes. Come on. Get it. But the Lord wasn't content with me just agreeing. Happily, energetically, zealously. He began to, to kind of speak to me a little bit. He says, yes, I know. How many hours of a week do you spend doing this? How many hours of a week outside of actually talking to somebody? Outside of being face to face? Because when you're in my face, I remember you, right? That's how it works. <laughs> Outside of a service, outside of 
an opportunity to preach or your face is coming before my mind? Anybody convicted yet? We told y'all. We, we were tempted to, to, to bring some, some scriptures that laid out and made sense and some really cool, deep revelation, but that's honestly not what God did in us. He convicted us to our core. When I gave my two-minute submission, you know what I told the pastors? I said, this was incredibly encouraging and searingly convicting because the Lord is dealing with me about this matter. When we're ministering with or to a brother, how often do you see him based on what God says that he is and he will be, the promise of scripture over his life, or can you only see the present state, the present weakness, right? The last time they sinned. I'm good at addressing what's right here in front of me. But church, there's more. The kingdom, the kingdom is more than what you can see. And I know I preached that a few weeks ago. God is just helping me to see it now and how it applies today with you, yeah. with my family. Yeah. It's more than what you see. This is our honest wrestling with, the, with, with these concepts. Any of you in this room knows what it's like to wrestle with the Lord? Yeah. Like, I'd be ashamed to tell you how long it's been since this week before I actually wrestled with the Lord. But this week it happened. We want to bring you through Romans 7. And we want to show you something that we, we realized in Romans 7 was true about us. And it's something in Romans 7 that most don't really capture. There, Romans 7 is a chapter that has been explained and men have tried to explain it. But there's some facets in there that we saw at work in our lives this week that we want to relate to you and and invite you into that with us. But before we do, we want to give you kind of a sketch of who is writing Romans. This is Paul the Apostle. In 1 Corinthians 9.26, Paul says, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. You could see the level of strictness and how Paul carried on his own discipleship, his own interactions with the Lord, the level of care that he took in watching over his own life, keeping his own soul. You could see the, uh, the acronyms he's using or the, the allegories that he's using and the, the strictness of the training that he induced on his own body to make sure that he would not run his race in vain and that he wasn't just running it in error. So when you read a passage like Romans 7, what I've commonly understand, understood Romans 7 to be is a man who's wrestling with something like habitual sin. A man that's wrestling, you know, maybe privately or, or there's a, 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 a sin like lying that keeps occurring in his life and he's just really fighting to root it out. But when you understand who Paul is, Paul's not a hypocrite. He's not a man that would just preach holiness and truth of walking uh, in the Lord and then be privately battling with the sin. So Romans 7 has to be about something that's a little bit deeper. Turn with us to Romans 7, 15, if you will. Romans 7, 15 says, I do not understand 
what I do. That's where I found myself this week, engaging with the truth of what must occur in my life of having to sacrifice for my brothers or getting to sacrifice for my brothers and realizing where I'm at honestly, realizing that I'm the type of man that could do it physically, especially when there's some glory involved and everybody's watching when a new person walks in the church and I sat down and shared scriptures with them and get, hey, yay, the new person. And I begin to wrestle with why that fades or why I'm so selfish whenever a, a problem happens in our household and in our team. And I'm like, man, God, another one? I begin to come to this passage. God revealed it to me and began to speak it inside of me. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. Catch this. Are y'all listening? Yeah. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. It's so clear when you look at this slowly that, that Paul is not just wrestling with private sin and doesn't know why it keeps occurring. Paul is wrestling with the fact that there are good things that he wants to do, but he cannot do them. He doesn't have the strength to do them. Inside of him, there is something else alongside that good that he wants to do, and it is preventing him. If you really, really want to know that this is, if you really want to know the, 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 the proof of why this is what Paul means, take James 4.17 in context. James was a man Paul was very familiar with, and James wrote to the 12 scattered tribes, and he said, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. And Paul is understanding there is good that I know I ought to do, but I don't. And this is where we found ourselves this week, crying out to the Lord, Lord, I know the right things to do. I know the right way to act. I know what it looks like to sacrificially serve and do it with a pure heart and not a tainted or mixed heart, but I don't know how to do it every time. I don't have the power inside of me. I don't have the strength. I don't have the diligence. I don't have the will. God, you're going to have to do something. Show me how to do this better. This is where we were Monday night, crying out to God, alone, with nobody with us, in our living rooms, crying out to God, I don't know, Lord, I see the truth of the scripture, and I've agreed with it too many times, but there is more to be had, and I don't know how to get there. I'm struggling. My flesh, it's so big, every time I want to do it, my flesh is right there. Have any of you ever been at that moment? You, see, I want to do good. I want to pour my life out for every person in this room and every person that I come across and for the Lord and for my life to be a drink offering, but I find something else inside of me yeah. warring against that nature. Call it comfort. Call it selfishness. 
Call it pride. Call it laziness. It's all and above, and I see it all at work in my life, and I'm like, Lord, I have, I have, no, I have nowhere else to turn. You have to show me how to do this better. Y'all want the cure? Yeah. Not yet. I told you, you're coming with us. We have to wrestle with this because I can agree with it and I see myself doing it in certain areas. And so I'm like, yes, look, we're, we're tracking in the right direction. And we are not throwing out the baby with the bathwater and say, I want to do what is good. How many of you want to do what is good in terms of your brothers and your sisters lives? Lord, I want to do what is good in their lives. Lord, I want to inspire them to rise. I want to inspire them to rise to be who you say they are and not how they feel. I want to do it. And yet, how many of you, when you're trying to work on time management, somebody had you go and like list out how much time you spend doing this, how much time you spend doing that, how much time you spend doing this, right? To see where your time is going. Lord did that with me. Okay, you want to do it. Why don't you? Look at your time. Lord, I want to do what is good. I know, but look at your time. He's getting at something that has to come from somewhere deeper than just want, wanting to do it. Right? It's where it starts. It's where godly sorrow, godly sorrow starts. It starts with earnestness. But earnestness doesn't produce action. Go with this to Isaiah 40. Verse 6. Isaiah was a man who did this. The context of Isaiah, as we're getting ready to read Isaiah 40, verse 6, is that the nation is in sin. Rampant idolatry. And although there is not physical desolation, there is spiritual desolation and the physical is on the way. That is the climate that Isaiah is pinning these words. And there have been some, some, some stiff omens and, and prophecies from the Lord about what is certainly going to happen because of the people's certain state. And I can see that. And what I was wrestling with is my proclivity to just see what's in front of me, but not look at my brothers, not look at disciples through the lens of faith. Honestly addressing what, what is now, but having the faith to call them what will be right now. As we're walking through what, be, what will be. So that is the state that we find Isaiah in. In Isaiah 40 verse 6. A voice says. Cry out. And I said Lord what shall I cry? We're crying out to the Lord because we know in here. What the right thing to do is. We know in here that it's right. And yet Lord I see a discrepancy in what I know to be right. And what I spend my time doing. But I've, I've tried to start. Making myself, you know, walk out Philippians 2 before. No, Lord, I need, I need transformation. Lord, help me. What shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Remember, you coming with us. Don't skip ahead. The first thing that the Lord began to do is uh, doing us is actually cause us to cry out. Yeah. Actually cause us to recognize that, no, this is not just about what you agree with. And it's not about what you can do in your own strength. 
he began to cause us to cry out. And that's where revelation for our brother starts. It starts with crying out because you can't accomplish it in your own strength. You can't do it by your own goodness or your own, or your own godliness. It begins by crying out. See, we needed a word directly from him. We can come up with good words, but we needed a word directly from him to transform our hearts and our actions. Pick up in verse 9. Verse 9, it continues. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. Everybody say with this, go up. Go up. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. You see, Isaiah is starting at the place where all of us have to start. And that's crying out to God. Something that I find in myself I do actually a lot less of than, than, than I, I would like to admit. Time sheets lacking. And the truth is, is it, cut, it, it just, the Lord has a way of getting me to the end of my rope. The Lord has a way of slamming a revelation through my thick head of me thinking, I understand, I got it, I got it, I got it. I was always the guy on the job site, be like, you know, as soon as the first half sentence comes out, be like, yeah, I got it, I got it. Charlie's shaking his head, he knows. <laughs> He's worked with you before. But the moment that, that, that you know, slams through my skull enough, I begin to realize I, I, I have to cry out to God to get this. And you remember the first thing that God told Isaiah? All men are like grass. That's what the Lord began to do inside of us. Begin to remind us, remind us, you can't do this in your own strength. You see, the whole purpose of God telling him to cry out is so that God could reveal to him, yes, you cannot do this in your own strength. It's not possible for you to do this in your own strength. Then he tells him, go up on a high mountain. That's the intention of God and having you cry out to him so that he can bring you up to the high mountain where he is and speak to you. That is the moment when God begins to give you and pour in the revelation of what you actually need to hear from him. And he's been trying to tell you the entire time, but you haven't been capable of hearing it. I haven't been capable of hearing it because I thought I knew it already. But in that moment, he brought us to a high mountain and began to speak the very things that we need. Then, as, Isaiah, as he did to Isaiah, he sends him back down the mountain with what to say. That's what the Lord does. He calls you up to the mountain and speaks to you what you need and then gives you the insight and revelation to go give to everyone else. That's exactly what this message is. Yeah. He calls us up to a high mountain to meet with him, to interact with the living God, yeah. to be face to face with him. Where nothing is hidden from his sight, you can't bluff your way yeah. out of what God wants to give you. What we're not talking about is here, Lord, give me a word for my brother. Yeah. That's not what we're talking about. Because it still can be a little selfish ambition kind of laced in that. Lord, give me a word for my brother so I have something for my brother. No. We're talking about going to be with God. Like yeah. going to be transformed in his presence. And the result of actually being in the presence of God is that you come down with something. Moses went up to be with God, and he came down with the law for his brothers. Did he not? Yeah. It's the same thing with Isaiah. 
Isaiah just, just didn't get these, these words from the Lord because he, he just wanted to prophesy good things. He had a genuine encounter with the Lord, and God sent him down with something for his brothers. But talk about climbing. You know what's falling off of you as you're climbing up the Lord? No, what's climbing out of, out, falling off of us? What's being scraped off of us is faithlessness. It's our selfishness. Fear. It's, it's uh, disappointment. Shame. These are the things that fall off of you as you climb up, up, up the mountain to go meet with God. And the result is that he gives you something for your brothers that they need. And that revelation for your brothers is actually what you needed. Yeah. <laughs> How about that? And, and remember where Isaiah starts this process with the Lord. It's in Isaiah 6. Woe to me, I'm undone. That's where it starts, where he actually gets to see the Lord is I am undone. I need revelation of how I can do your will. And then the Lord speaks to him. You see, true revelation from your, for your brothers only comes from your personal wrestling with God. Your interaction of wrestling with your flesh and wrestling with the Lord all at the same time. This is where Moses received the command to anoint Aaron and his sons. This is where Isaiah received his revelation to go share with the people of God. It's where Elijah, Elisha, Paul, and every man of the Bible, this intrinsic wrestling with the Lord, and that's where they got the revelation. Which leads us to verse 10. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. We're focusing on who actually has the revelation, who actually has the power to transform and change. The sovereign Lord comes with power, and his arms rule for him. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He listen to this. Listen to this verse. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. This is what the Lord does. And I'm, I'll, be an, I'll be honest. We joke about Jesus not being the, the shepherd that, that, you know, is carrying a lamb, but him being a warrior. I was tempted to look at this with carnal eyes. Be like, oh, that's cute. Scripture's not cute. This is who God is. He carries his sheep to the place where they need to be. So God is telling me, hey, if you're going to be like me, you're going to have to carry your brothers to the place that they need to be. This is who the Lord is. This is the revelation that we had to go up to get. And, and this is us seeking God for revelation. He's saying, hey, Come up to me on this mountain. Come, come reckon with me. Let's come deal with a few things so that I could send you back down with something for your brothers. And to be honest, church, it's never what you think it is. The, the next scripture we're getting, we're, we're getting ready to read to you, we've read it before. We've engaged with it, like I said. And we think there are like 15 different things that we need to do. And God gives us revelation of what needs to be done for our brothers because this is a Hint, it's what's been done for you. Turn with us to John 13, picking up in verse 14. So as we cried out to the Lord and interacting with our own state, interacting with the truth of who God is, the God who tends the, his flock like a shepherd, gathered the lambs in his arms, as we were actually interacting with those things and caught up in that wrestling, the Lord began to speak to us, John 13. 
I don't, the Lord just turned to John 13. And as we read it, we landed on verse 14. And we read, and, re, and remember, this is all a response of the, the desperation of, Lord, how can I do this better? Yeah. Lord, I need, I need help. The Lord began to answer and have us read this passage. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also, that, that you also should do just as I have done for you. As the Lord had us read that, we were meditating on the context of John 13. Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Peter saying, no, Lord, you will never wash my feet. That's where I would have been. The king of Israel washing my feet. No, I should wash his feet. But him persistently saying, no, I will wash your feet. And then Jesus summarizing that interaction with, I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Quite honestly, that, that puzzled me. That puzzled us quite a bit. Lord, what are you trying to say here? As if it's not in the Peshat. Lord, what do you, how does this get me to where I need to be? You want to know what the Lord did? The Lord began to flood our minds like a movie of all of the examples that he has laid out for us personally. And you got to understand, I did not understand why this was going through, through my mind. We didn't understand why this was going through our minds. But the Lord began to, to remind us of all of the examples that have been done, that, that we've seen, that we've interacted with, we've held with our hands, and we've beheld with our eyes. See, the Lord reminded us of very specific things like, I remember when brothers took time to invest in me to the point of actually being able to give me godly correction. I remember the time that Elder Baj spent with me, though he didn't know me that much, but he spent and sacrificed his time for me so that he can get to know me and over the years have brought corrections to my life that were meaningful and insightful because he spent the time to get to know me. Truthfully, any correction is meaningful and impactful. Yeah. But Baj knew the right way to correct me because he had spent so much time with me. And the funny thing is, is that in the past, I kind of looked at it like, man, Baj is spending so much time with me. I feel so special as a disciple. He loves me. But the Lord was revealing that to me in that moment that that was not the point. The Lord was using that as an example that I understand now I'm to do to others. Amen. I remember the times, the Lord caused me to remember the times that men like Pastor Matt would take the time to get insight about my life. Like, not just, not just, hey man, I had a scripture and I'm, I just want to share this with you. No, the time that he actually spent praying to get insight about my life. I begin to remember the moments that I'd bring up a problem to Pastor Eric. And I knew that he could answer the question within 30 seconds. And yet he took the time to listen to me because he knew that he knew that I needed him to hear me. You see, in those moments, I just felt like a young disciple. I felt so good that he's listening to me. 
And the Lord began to show me, no, that was done as an example for you to do to others. I can remember the moments every time I walk into the shop, Nick is so joyful to see me. Yeah. Nick is, man, hey, brother, it's so good to see you. And again, it made me feel special, like Nick loves me. He loves me. But as the Lord began to remind me of those things, I realized, wow, man, Nick's a man just like me. He, you know, he has everything that a, that a Christian would go through, Nick goes through, and yet he has never failed to put on a smile when I walk through the shop. I didn't really think about that before. But while I'm wrestling with the Lord, he began to play this in front of my mind like a movie screen. Nolan Hewitt. Stand up, Nolan. Calling you out, bro. I remember the time once. Uh, how many of y'all remember when we got up, got here at 4.30 for prison? Right? You spent the first 30 minutes like dealing with your flesh so that you can actually pray and worship and get right with God to go preach. And I remember Nolan Hewitt coming to me saying, brother, you have a mouth. When we pray, I want you to open your mouth and pray out loud. Because we need to hear you. And it left an impact on me. First, I was offended. That's one kind of impact. We dealt with that impact. But it left an impact on me. Because you know what Nolan did? He took the time to cause a young man in the Lord to stand up and rise up and to be the man that he's called to be. That's, that's what was done for me. And now I'm getting the opportunity to do it for brothers. I remember times where Nick brought us into prison and how formative those, those times were. And if I'm being honest, because you know I'm going to be honest, you can look at how I've done it. You know, we've been running prison ministry and like, man, yeah, we got to do this. And it just becomes a task. But a few months back, God, God brought me back to the time where, hey, remember what this formed in you? You get to do that for your brothers. You get to cause, them to, to cause them to have the same kind of revelation, the same kind of victory that you had. Man, it became a joy. Stand up, Pastor Nick. You sit down, though. But stay standing spiritually. Stay I remember the time when I came to this body, like I said, hot mess. And I was so used to partying on Fridays and just going out that I literally, like, that's what my brain, my, my, my body was wired for. And after discipleship training that was here, we go over to the kibbutz and brand new Christian, like a weekend, we sit around and talk about our weeks and what's been going on. I'm like, what is this? And I was so thankful for that. You know why? Because he gave me somewhere to be. Simply, he gave me somewhere to be. It wasn't performing, didn't have a script. We sat down, we opened our Bibles, we talked about our, our weeks, and, and God began to give prophetic vision for everybody in the room. Rob, you remember that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Had us laid out adjacent to the atrium. You can sit down, brother. But that, it wasn't about me. It wasn't just like, oh, yeah, awesome, cool, yeah, this is great. No, God was doing that in my life as a testimony, as a memorial stone of what I now get to do for my brothers. Yeah. Pastor Matt. Oh, man. 
Oh, Pastor Matt. Oh, Stand up for me, Pastor Matt. Matt. <laughs> Talking about patience, I don't know a man that is as patient as Pastor Matt. Oh, my God. I remember a time when I came to Pastor Matt with a relationship that I thought was God. That was obviously not God. Look, you're laughing. You know, gently, but sternly, like Pastor Matt does. Hey, brother, I think this is idolatry. You need to just lay that down. And I was like, yes, sir. Amen. Yes, sir, I'll do it. Complied. Sweet about it. A few days later, I realized, like, I'm offended at Pastor Matt. <laughs> hey, Pastor, it was, I think it was after an a axe, axe teaching or something like that. Hey, Pastor Matt, I realized I was offended with you. I'm sorry. He dug to get to the root of it, and then we moved on. He put up with a little bit of my foolishness. And not the kind of foolishness that Paul was talking about putting up with. It was actual foolishness. Can I tell you, that was a memorial stone in my life, and I still refer back to it to this day. But it wasn't about me. You can sit down, Pastor. It was about what God wanted to do for my brothers. Last one. Pastor Wade. Stand up, Pastor Wade. Oh, yeah. Remember I told you I was a hot mess? <clears throat> I had a, a modifier. I was a double-minded hot mess. Pastor Word still to this day teaches me words. And I sat down with him at Mas Taco my first few months in the church. And I'm saying, yeah, Pastor, I want to get this right. I want to get this right. I'm trying to get this right. I'm trying to get this right. And he said, hey, shut up if I chop you in the throat. No, he didn't say that. He's like, you are so self-deprecating. I'm like, uh, Pastor, yeah, I know I'm supposed to be smart because I got a degree, but I don't know what that word is. <laughs> you cannot see anything you're doing good, can you? I'm like, oh, I know what that word is. <laughs> he took the time to shake me and wake me up out of my double-mindedness. That, that's what Pastor Wade did for me then. He still does for me. <laughs> you can sit down, Pastor. See, we are, we are seeking God. We're crying out to God, uh, saying, Lord, how do we do this? How do we, we actually, like, spend hours of our week pouring out for our brothers? And he didn't tell us some new thing. He began to remind us of what's been done for us. And the fact that it wasn't really for us at all. Not just for us. It was for you. And as we continued in this, he came to a very fine point. And this, are, are you being encouraged by this? I hope, I hope you've been encouraged. If not, be encouraged. But he came to a fine point that broke everything. That was the answer for our faithlessness, for our selfishness, for all of it. Trish was getting ready to share that. Yeah, there's a few more in the room that I just... Get it. The, the reason why I feel compelled to do this because it, this is actually what God showed us as we're crying out to him. I can look around the room and just go off script. I remember in my early years of being, God caused me to remember Monday night of the early years of me being just a brand new Christian and my parents were fighting in prayer that I would survive the new years of Christianity. I remember as a young disciple being brash and bold and almost not capable of working with and Rick Lawhon took me in and worked with me and made me into something. 
I rem- God caused me to remember Spencer McLean and how he prayed and sought the God of heaven to, to have me join him at Pertech and so that we can work together. God caused me to remember the times when Carlos took time off of his lunch, off of his lunch break to sit with me and have dis- scriptural discussions because I was hungry to have discussions with a brother like Carlos. God caused me to remember the times when I was crying out in my mashalam kata, my team. I was out of town and I didn't feel like I had an adequate time to be with my children. And Cody and Rob took my kids to the park and were men to them and pastored them. God caused me to remember every Monday night when Eric and Jen cook a restaurant-worthy meal for the foundations team. And to be honest with you, in the early days, I thought, oh, look at me, I'm so special. Eric and Jen are cooking for us. I didn't realize until I began cooking for other people exactly what they were doing. But God brought that to my remembrance while I was praying and seeking him. How do I sacrifice more for my brothers? You want to know what all of that, I'm sure all of you in this room can look around and start remembering things. And I could go for, I could go for every single person in this room right now. I know every one of you can look around and see the things that brothers have done as an example to you. You want to know what that caused, what, what, what that really did inside of me as I'm crying out and remembering? That shattered my pride. That crushed my selfish ambition that crushed the thing inside of me that has always been there of this is my calling I have to grab it by the horns and make myself into something that's great for my calling I realize in that moment that I am a product of the Lord and this body I am a product of every single person in this room, and I would not be the man that I am today unless the Lord had given me examples in every one of your lives. That shattered my selfish ambition. The Lord gently saying to me, son, you didn't do anything to get where you are. In fact, you probably have screwed up more (laughs) than you realize, but I've given you righteous examples in this room. That was the moment that I began to understand the revelation God really wanted me to have. After my faithlessness, my selfish ambition, my fear was annihilated before the Lord in showing me that I, I wouldn't be on this stage if it wasn't for you, all of you. That desire began to be birthed in my heart. God, I want to do the same thing for other people. I want to see other people better off like I am better off because of the men and women who have sacrificed in my lives. I realize now that it wasn't all for me. God was using that as a demonstration and an example. He gave me a live example in all of your lives on what I am to do to others. Be honest and fair, I already knew that. But I had cried out and wrestled with God and he showed it to me personally. Can you imagine the thankfulness I had for this body? Can you imagine the gratefulness that produced inside of me for everything that every man, like like JJ and Natalie, Charlie and Joe, taking me out to lunch on a horrible season of my life, giving me a scripture when I needed it the most, paying for lunch, and then just spending time with me? God, I want to do the same for everyone around me. See, this has freed me 
to grasp the truth that I am a product of the demonstrations, i.e. you. I am a product of this body, and therefore I want to be producing the same thing in other people's lives. I am freed up now with a fire to wrestle past the common tiredness and be something for the people around me. You want to benefit your brothers? You want to inscribe holy to the Lord across their foreheads? Go up. Go up to a high mountain. Wrestle with God. And I, I, I bet he's probably going to show you the same thing that he's shown us. Look at what I've done for you. Go do it for them. Amen. Speaking of brothers, uh, we were moved, and I'm, I'm, this is a gratuitous plug, to the brothers at Horizon Church. Uh, we were blessed by you guys' message. Uh, Pastor Peter, Asa, we were blessed by that. And it's going to come here. Mark 3, verse 13. See, Moses went up to a mountain to get revelation. Hold up, Spence. For his brothers. Isaiah went up to the mountainside and got revelation for his brothers. Jesus went up to a mountainside and got revelation for what God wanted to do in his brothers. Mark 3.13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to them, called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. As we thought about all the examples in this room, the Lord showed us that these men would not be the 12 apostles as we know it unless Jesus went up on a mountain, wrestled with God, and brought down, brought down vision for them. But something that we learned from our brothers at Horizon, Joshua would have remained a warrior if Moses had not been on the mountaintop with God, got the revelation, hey, give him some of your authority, Moses. He's going to lead the people into the land that I promised. David would have still been a shepherd boy if Samuel had not gotten up from the failure with Saul. Had not stopped mourning and gotten up and went to go anoint the next king of Israel. Elisha would have still been plowing in the field if Elijah had not wrestled with God through his own personal uh, uh, dealings. And heard, hey, go anoint, go anoint him as your successor. The disciples still would have been mediocre fishermen. And I still would have been a mediocre engineer. If, if Jesus had not said, hey, Father, who do you want? Who are the 12? And he called them up to him. All of these are men that we admire in the word of God and were products of the examples that were set before him. And that is who you are. You are products of the examples that have been set before you for you to go and do the very same thing for others. Michael Hall, you are a product of the examples that are set before you, and you are doing the same things that were done for you for your brothers. And it's causing life to come. So we're working towards a close, and we have one passage left. But do you remember the title of this message? Earn This. In 1998, there was a movie that changed the landscape of military, uh, military historical movies. You'll know that movie as Saving Private Ryan. Many people like Saving Private Ryan because of its action sequences, its realistic style of filming. You can feel like you're there. 
but not many people come away with the intended meaning that the director wanted you to come away with. You see, the story of the movie is about seven men who are sent on a task to go rescue one insignificant man in the broad scope of the entire war in the middle of Nazi Germany. And as these men find that one man, that man doesn't want to leave because his brothers are there on the battlefield. He doesn't want to leave them. So the seven men say, well, this is our mission. We have to complete this mission. So a great fierce battle ensues. And sadly, all of the men on the squad sent on the mission die in the mission to save the one man. And at the very end of the movie, the main figure, Captain Phillips, is lying, dying on a bridge. And Private Ryan, the insignificant, you know, just one out of a million, is standing there looking at him and realizing that all these men just did this for me. And Captain Phillips looks at him and he says one thing. As he's dying, he says, earn this. And when he says that, a lot of thoughts flood through your mind. A whole array of thoughts come to you. How in the world can this man earn this? What is the kid going to do? Is he going to cure cancer? Is he going to find some better renewable resource? Is he going to end world hunger? How can he earn what just happened to him? Or what, what was done for him? How can he earn this? Would it even matter what he does because those men are dead and they can't witness what he does? And then as you're wrestling through those thoughts, you come to the conclusion that the director wanted you to come to. He can't earn this. There's nothing he can do to earn this. But there is one thing he can do. He can spend the rest of his life doing for others what was done for him. That is the only thing that he can do spend the rest of his life, the precious life that was given to him, and do the same thing for others. Church, you cannot earn this. The only thing you can do looking at the sacrifice that was made for you from the Messiah and all of the men in the last 2,000 years that have died to give you the Bible in your hands, and all of the men in this room that have poured out their time, their tears, their precious resources, their money to better you off, there's only one thing you can do that truly uh, captures the purpose of that sacrifice. And that is do the same thing for others. For our last scripture, stand up with this. Turn to Psalm 1. Well, you listen to Psalm 116. This is Psalm 116, picking up in verse 12. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? It's the question he's asking. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? See, what was done for you wasn't meant for you to reciprocate it back to your discipler. You reciprocate it by doing for others what they did for you. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I'll cry out to him. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. We walk out of this, walk off this stage and begin to actually walk this word out. Because it's about what we do from this point. Understand 
what has been done for you. As disciples, you know, early on, we, we just were greedy. Yes, give me, give me, yes. You love me, yes. But we couldn't understand it then, but we understand it now. God has given us to understand what's been done for us. Realize the purpose of what's been done for you. Why was it done for you? So that you would go and do it for your brothers. So that you would go and do it for the lost. And then spend your time not focusing on yourself. Not focusing on what you have. Spend your time doing exactly what's been done for you. Doing it for others. And even greater. Do what has been done for you for others. We gave you very specific examples. You know why they, why they stood out? is because now God has brought us to a place in our lives where we're, we're beginning to see why he did it. Because we're doing it in other brothers' lives. As we begin to worship, because the worship team is going to lead us into worship. You can come down here if you want. And I'm inviting you to. You can come down here if you want. But we're going to leave the lights on. And as we worship, we're going to look around the room. And we're going to call to mind all the things that God has done in his body. The things that he has done for you through somebody else. The things and miraculous things that you have admired and seen done for somebody else. We're going to begin to call those things to mind. And like you did in us, it's going to produce a gratefulness. It's going to produce a thankfulness. And it's going to produce a fire that you must go do for somebody else what's been done for you. And then when, when the guitar stops strumming, you're going to go do it. You're going to do exactly what's been done for you. You're going to do, go do it for others. And the kingdom of God will spread upon the earth. It will spread in our lives. It will spread in our homes. And it's going to produce a testimony of God's right order in Houston, Texas. That's going all the way to Chicago, all the way to Virginia, all the way to Romania. And it's going to end up in Israel. Teresa, we're going to Israel. Yeah. We come and see you in Israel. That's right. Pray for us, brother. Mighty God, as we come to the altar, Lord, we look at the faces of every, everyone in this room. Lord, cause our minds to remember the example set before us, mighty God. Lord, we are so thankful for everything that you've done in our lives. We're thankful for every person in this room. Lord, as we worship together, let thankfulness and gratefulness rise in this place, mighty God. Lord, let selfish ambition be crushed. Let pride be crushed. Let comfort be crushed. Let laziness be crushed. Let us emulate the examples that have that have been given to us, mighty God.